0: Landon, Patrick, your your first job might not be in Lincoln, but if your second job is in Lincoln, we'll leave the light on for you. Welcome back if you guys want to come back, but we sure love students. Thank you for doing that, guys. That was smart. Um, let us uh, let me share a quick story. I was driving back from church last week, and I was asking one of my sons, I was like, so what did you think of church? He's like, it was good. I'm like, what about, about the sermon? He's like, it was good. I'm like, all right. He's like, I have a question, Dad. Why are we Xing out the commandments? Aren't commandments a good thing? I'm like... Son, there's this thing called Roman numerals. <laughs> You'll get to that eventually, or, or your mom already covered it in school. But there's Roman numerals, and this is the Ten Commandments. And so, why, why would we spend ten weeks looking at the Ten Commandments? That's a big thing. Uh, we're given prime real estate, ten Sundays looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, why are we spending so much time looking at something that happened so long ago? Uh, and there's a reason why. Uh, The main reason why we're looking at the Ten Commandments is it gives you a glimpse, a picture into the values and priorities and character of the God who wrote them, who said them to the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us all about the character of God, the righteousness of God, all about God. And the idea is that after spending 10 weeks studying the Ten Commandments, you get a better idea what the mind of God is, what he cares about, where we're going, what he values in us as people. You won't have a perfect idea of God after this sermon, but you should have a more structured, focused vision of what God's vision is for our relationship in the future based on the Ten Commandments. And so before we go much further, uh, I'd like to take a moment here and bow our heads and pray. Let's, let's ask God to bless our time. Lord, we're attempting to do a supernatural work, God, looking at your word of the Lord, trying to communicate what you're teaching us today. Uh, this, is a, this is a weighty, heavy thing, Lord. We don't want to take this lightly. We don't want to gloss over this. We don't want to move quickly through this, Lord. Um, I pray that you would just help us to settle our hearts down, settle our minds down, and focus on eternity, focus on our relationship with you, focus on what you're saying in the second commandment. I ask that you just really multiply our time, help us to cover a lot and a limited amount of time together, Lord. But I ask that you just help protect us from the trap of listening, learning, and not doing anything. Help us to know why we're doing what we're doing. Helps us to lean into our, our theology so it can impact our livology as Christians. I said you just grow our understanding of you, our love for you, and our desire to want to live for you. Um, make this word of God come alive and convict our hearts like only you can. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's read over the passage together. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That was last week. This is this week. Verse 4, the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments, who love me and keep my commandments. So it's important for us to realize that these 10 commandments were not communicated in some sterile vacuum. Like your mind's understanding of the 10 commandments is probably pretty limited. I've feel like if I were to wager, I've spent more time this week looking at the Ten Commandments than any of you. Get what I'm saying? I've spent more time studying these few verses than any of you. So I don't want to like super mystify it. I want to make it practical. I want to stay in my lane, which is the second commandment. But God does not communicate this in a sterile vacuum. There's a thing called context. Where, when, and how it was communicated to the people of God. And so if you were to think, I'm going to get your head in that space about the context of when this was communicated. The Ten Commandments were rolled out in an amazing situation. If you were there, there, and you saw and you heard this exact thing communicated by God, you'd be standing around a million other people. They would all be Israelites. They're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai after the whole rescue op out of Egypt occurred. They walk through the Red Sea, and you've seen your new God you were introduced to systematically dismantle The largest economy on the planet, the Egyptian economy, the largest religion on the planet, the Egyptian religion, the largest military on the planet just drowned in the the Red Sea. The largest, you know, technology in the planet just got dismantled. The largest government in the world at the time just got dismantled by this God. You just saw this God flex on the top 10 gods of the Egyptian gods and systematically dismantle them one after another after another. You just walk through That whole Red Sea experience where there was skyscrapers of water on either side of you. And you walk through on dry ground through the Red Sea. You walk through the desert for a season of time. And now you're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai with a million other peers listening and watching God talk to the people of God with no mediator. There's no pastor. There's no PA system. There's no Moses saying speaking on behalf of God because that's too much. God is speaking directly to the people of Israel. For the first time, and there's this, they're at the foot of the mountain, at the very top of the mountain, the pinnacle, there's this cloud of glory and lights and lightning occurring up there and God is speaking in an audible voice to the nation of Israel. And so last week, Dan covered the first commandment, which prohibits worshiping or honoring anything before God in thought, word or deed. If you missed it, you missed a lot. You need to go play some ketchup this afternoon. We're going we're gonna to leave that in last week. It was excellent. Go check that out yourself. But this week, we're looking at the second commandment. And so some background you need to understand that helps you understand what, where this came from and where going with this commandment is. In the ancient world, they believed in a multi-god culture. They had a harvest god, a fertility god, a, a fall god, a spring god, a, all sorts of gods in different seasons. And they worshiped the gods, and those gods had teams and coalitions of gods, and they would they would fight, they would make babies. There was multiple things happening in this polytheistic worldview, which was very common in Egypt and very common all throughout the ancient world at this time. And so you grew up in this culture that was saturated in multiple gods for different days of the week, and you saw all those 10 gods get dismantled. The top 10 gods in Egypt got dismantled and earlier in the book of Exodus, and you're learning about this new god. So last week, Dan covered the first commandment, no other gods, a monotheistic worldview, a monotheistic God, one God, not hundreds of gods, one God. So that's a big paradigm shift for you because you're an Israelite who came out of Egypt. That's a huge shift that occurred in your life. The second big shift happens in this passage as we look at idols. And the Egyptians made a sport out of religion. They made a sport out of idols. And many of their idols are amazing artistically created pieces of artwork where you have a a statue that's either small or large that varies in size and scale and they're covered in gold and silver and it's supposed to be a physical representation of of a god that you can't see. And those idols, you can watch and look at those idols in museums all around the world. And those Egyptian idols is like the most premier idols that were created throughout all the ancient religions that's occurred on this planet. So you know not only multiple gods, but you know multiple idols. And idols are everywhere, and they're beautifully crafted things to show and help a person think and value and worship that deity, that God. And the second commandment we're looking at today slowly, the second commandment looks at idols. And I propose to you, it goes deeper than just idols, it goes into the heart behind idol worship, and how that heart, that worship is idols, wrecks one's relationship with God. And so... This is not laid out very complicated, and it's very simple for us here. If you look at me at verse 4, it says, Don't make idols, is the first point of verse 4. Don't make idols. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Point number one of today's sermon is, don't make idols. Point number two of today's sermon we'll find in verse 5. Don't worship idols. You shall not bow down to them. Don't make idols and don't worship idols. Don't make and don't worship idols. The second half of verse five don't serve idols. Don't make, don't worship, and don't serve idols. Are you tracking with me where I got that in the passage? We go to verse five. The rest of verse five. Why? This addresses why the rest of this passage. For I. The Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's important to stay true to the negative posture the negative stance that this this commandment has. I should not take this and spin it to the positive. We should stay in the negative. Don't make, don't worship and don't serve idols. And then we get into the why you're like Mike I'm good I don't have idols I'm good I mean I traveled to Nepal for 10 days with a number of you a couple years ago and we literally had to like step over idols we had to walk around idols there's huge idols small idols there's like incense and flowers and a little dish from the night before or the morning of and they would change out those flowers daily and the incense daily and it was just there's a smoldering incense and you'd see them in the middle of the street on the sidewalk in front of businesses in front of homes you see them in community spaces. There's this massive idol that people came from all over the country to worship around. And it was, it was huge. And so there's idols everywhere. You physically saw it, this little statue beside it, a little cake or dates or fruit. And it was changed out religiously by the people that worship those idols. And so you're like, Mike, I don't, I don't worship idols. I'm good. I'm good. But I propose to you the more advanced the society gets, the more advanced its idols get. And before we get serious, I'm going to have a little fun. I've been watching a, a show called We Are the Champions on a live streaming platform. Um, it's just an intriguing deep dive for 30 minutes into some very f- you know, fanatical people and some very unusual things. Uh, last night, I think I watched uh, frog jumping. Competitive frog jumping. The world record for frog, j- frog jumping is 21 feet. And I watched these people that train these frogs, breed these frogs, like have frogs you know test how far they can jump and bring the best to this contest, and then they're living for glory of frog jumping. I learned a lot about it, and these people are a lot of fun and they 're very intense on frog jumping and then a couple of days ago, I watched something on chili eating contest and how hot it is insane to see what people do to their bodies to eat hot stuff chili eating contest it's insane though these fanatics for chili eating and how they ate the most hottest things ever, and then they went to this. Cheese racing where they roll this ball of cheese down a forty-five degree angle and these people run down this insanely steep hill. 45 degree angle. It's like a free fall sprint and they're rolling and tumbling for a hundred meters. It is insane. They get hurt. That's what we're watching for. They're flipping and rolling and anyway, competitive yo-yoing. They've given their life, their whole life, just sitting in the room practicing yo-yo tricks. Or I watched two last night, like a good American. They're thirty minutes long. Competitive dog dancing. Seven to 10 hours a week, dancing with a dog, no phones, just mirrors around watching and working on a routine in a skit. We can laugh. We can laugh. We can judge another culture and we can laugh at our first world culture around the world and around the globe. Don't make idols, don't worship idols and don't serve idols. But the reality is we do make and we do worship and we do serve idols as a culture. Now, as I work through this and try to unpack this for you, just because I may not name your particular vice, doesn't mean we're off the hook. We have the Holy Spirit that's part of this Christian walk that is there to help out where pastors can't get everywhere. And he'll get to you eventually. <laughs> don't make, don't worship, and don't serve idols. But think to yourself, what do you run to after a long week? What do you run to when you have a free moment? What do you run to in your mind, on your phone, in your thoughts? In private, in public, what do you go to when things are hard? Or where you want to celebrate a big win? When you don't feel like you've been affirmed at work like you should? Or you don't feel like you've been accepted by your friends? What do you run to to find affirmation, acceptance, and approval? Don't make, don't worship, and don't serve idols. Where do you go to escape when you're face-to-face with pain in your life? Help cope with the pain you deal with. Don't make, don't worship, and don't serve idols. The thesis statement for this, this passage, this, these verses, is we all worship wrong gods the wrong way. Instead, worship Jesus. If you do a word search of idols throughout the Bible, you'll see there's 111 times in the Old Testament you can find the word idol, and 17 times in the New Testament you'll find this word idol. And you'll find idols today in your life. At the end of the sermon, we'll get there. John 1, 1 John 1, 1 and 1. 21 says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Big people, guard yourselves from idols. Young Christians, guard yourself from idols. Old Christians, guard yourself from idols. Idols are everywhere in our Christian experience in Lincoln, Nebraska today. Idols, our idols are more complex than just a statue or more life-consuming you know, consuming than that documentary I was talking about earlier. And it's not just as simple as images, images, like they're talking about images, I don't have images, I don't have statues, it's not that simple, because it's deeper than just images, because a few chapters later in Exodus, you see uh, the author is com- unpacking like how the tabernacle should be made, and it's just completely drenched in images. In the New Testament, we talk about images and worship, like about communion, which we'll take later in the service, and how baptisms, which you had a few weeks ago, or a cross on the wall, or things like that, images are everywhere in your Bible. And the image is supposed to help you think and focus and worship on God. But it's deeper than just images. The heart behind an idol, the heart behind an image, is a worshiping heart. A man or woman who is worshiping something that is not God. We all worship wrong gods the wrong way. Instead, worship Jesus. The God, we're supposed to worship Jesus. The God who calls us into a relationship. The God who is a jealous God. I believe this is very unique to Christianity, a jealous deity. So if God is God and he's his who he says he is, he's created everything we see, taste, touch, smell, everything we'll ever experience in this lifetime and everything Elon Musk will find off this planet, every single God that created everything has all knowing power, wisdom, authority, strength, everything, all knowledge, that God should be worshiped in and of itself. But if that God desires to have a relationship with you and that God that created everything is jealous, of your affections placed in something else. He wants them placed in Him. That's even more compelling. It's not like we're just worshiping Him because He's really wealthy and really powerful and really all-knowing and really everything, and He's, he's, he's extra, and we're not. It's not that simple. We're worshiping Him because of that, but we're also worshiping Him because He wants to have a relationship with us. We have a relational God with Him and the Son, Him and the Holy Spirit, are in a relationship He wants to have a relationship with us as people. God is a jealous God who's jealous of the relationship wants a jealous relationship with you. God knows how you spend your time better than you do. God knows what dominates your thoughts better than you do. God knows what drives your feelings more than you do as a person. God wants to be in a deep, meaningful relationship with you. The God of the universe wants to know you intimately and personally and have an intimate relationship with you. God sees you're capable of having deep, meaningful relationships with other people. He sees you're capable of having deep, meaningful relationships pursuing other things. He wants to have a deep, meaningful relationship pursuing Him, and Him pursuing you and knowing each other in a relationship. We are prone to worship everything but God. And that, that makes God's heart jealous because He loves you. We all worship wrong gods the wrong way. Instead, worship Jesus. So let's keep digging into the why, because the why helps this sermon last beyond this afternoon. Because why? Why does this matter? Because God wanted to have a relationship with the people of Israel. God wanted to have a face-to-face relationship with the people, with his people. That amazing, powerful, just God is, is right here in this passage defining what that relationship looks like. He's laying out the ground rules for how to have a relationship with him. God is holy and chosen and righteous and, and better than us people. And he wants to explain to us how to have a relationship with him. And the, the why is, is in the last chapter, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6 says this, Now if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my my own possession out of all the people throughout all the earth is mine, and you'll be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. God desires us to be his kingdom of priests, his holy nation, in an intimate, loving relationship with him, and he's jealous for us when our affections are placed in something that's not him. God says don't bring those other gods into this relationship with us. God is hyper relational. And this wording of jealous God, his jealous love for you, it's not unintentional. And an illustration is like if you're standing there on your wedding day, you're standing there on your wedding day looking in the eyes of your future spouse, and they're standing before you and they say, I vow to have and to hold, and uh, sickness and health, till death do us part, unless I'm on a weekend business trip. Unless that secretary starts batting her eyes at me, unless an opportunity presents itself, then boys will be boys. I mean, what would you what would you think? What would what would go through your mind if that's what they're communicating to you when you're having your vow moment, talking through what your commitments and covenant you're stepping into of marriage and what your relationship will look like? No. You weren't exclusive, you'd have a jealousy or a hatred or you'd have a lot of feelings occurring in your heart, but it wouldn't be benign love. Men and women. This is the ultimate define find the relationship talk occurring. Chapter 19 talks about the terms of the relationship. And chapter 20 gets into the details of that relationship. And God knows the heart of these, his people. They came out of a God-saturated world and they had an idol-saturated world where they worship gods and worship idols as part of their culture. And they were immersed in this, in the Egyptian life. And he's refocusing their mind on the one true God with a relationship with him. See, we don't get to tell God how the relationships works. The created thing is not going to tell the creator how things will be. Uh, a theologian, Anthony Burgress, in 1646 said, "It's this concept is like having the sun follow the clock or the tell wag the dog. We, we don't get the luxury of telling God how things will be of our relationship with God. This defined the relationship talk, it's illogical for us to think we get to tell God how things are. It's very American of us to think that, but it's not how we are allowed to think and communicate with God. Us created people leading this to find the relationship talk is illogical and unintentionally, unintentionally places us on the same level as God in your mind. You're like, I'll tell you how things are, God. I'll create the relationship. I'll create how we're supposed to interact with each other. In your mind, you're in charge, but nowhere else. If you pretend, if you want to pretend that you are at the same level as God and you can communicate to God like an equal, and you self-identify at the same level as God, and you, and you want to be treated like a God. And I just, actions have consequences and decisions have a destiny. And the Bible teaches that the zip code of that destiny is in a place where God does not exist. Because you've created a God, a God in your own image, a God that doesn't exist, not the first commandment, the one true God. One true God, no idols. And He's laying out what that relationship looks like. You can't just self-identify as being a billionaire and you can't self-identify that. You get to tell God how the relationship with him and you will look. Don't pretend. Don't deceive yourself. God is in charge and he knows how to communicate and have a relationship with people. God knows you. He created you. If you want to have a relationship with God, it will be on God's terms, not yours. The relationship with God is found God's way, not our way. The purpose behind the second commandment we're looking about, about no idols god starts at the relationship he's physically speaking from the top of the mountain with lightning and smoke and the glory of god's and that cloud up there communicating to the people of god and his glory is revealed in the light and he's starting to explain the relationship to his people he knows they have an idle heart that runs to idols and runs to other gods and this concept of having one god not multiple gods and worshiping him, not worshiping all these idols, is going to be a difficult adjustment for these people. And if there was a people that could have made this leap, it would have been these Israelites. They saw everything. All the 10 plagues, walk through the Red Sea, they saw everything. The, the cloud by day, the pillar by night, they saw him demolish the, everything. They should have been able to make this mental leap. That that is the real deal, and all those other gods lost to this God. What are we doing We can make this leap, but they couldn't make that leap who saw it all in person. Our heart as people, we are incapable of not worshiping. Just like if I told you to stop breathing, you're incapable of stop breathing. It's just part of who you are. We are made to worship. We're made to give our love and our affections and our adoration to other things. And our tendency is completely place our love, adoration, affection in the wrong things and to create idols we all worship wrong gods the wrong way. Instead, worship Jesus. If you take this worship lens and you place it over all the Ten Commandments, let's let me roll through the Ten Commandments and help you kind of see there's a heart of worship behind these Ten Commandments. First commandment, don't worship any other gods. They are fake. Worship the real God. Do not worship fake gods, worship me, the real God. Second second commandment, don't make any knockoff images of me and worship that instead. Don't do it. Instead, worship me. Third commandment. Don't misuse my name in your worship or in your mundane life. Do not do it. Worship me. The fourth commandment. Don't misuse the day I gave you to worship. Do not worship the four, the Sabbath. Instead, worship me. The fifth commandment. Don't dishonor your parents I gave you. Do not worship them. Instead, worship me. The sixth commandment. Do not kill the people I put around you. Do not worship them. Instead, worship me. The seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery if any of the people around you. Do not worship sex, which I gave you. Instead, worship me. Do the eighth commandment. Do not steal. Do not, do not worship things. Instead, worship me. The ninth commandment. Do not lie with your mouth. Do not worship Yourself, of your speech, instead, worship me. The 10th commandment, do not worship your neighbor's stuff. Don't do it, Americans. Instead, worship me. We all worship wrong gods the wrong way. Instead, we're called to worship and love Jesus. The first four commandments focus on our relationship and how we worship God. The sixth, The next six commandments focus on our relationship with other people. We're so prone to messing up those relationships with people and with God. We do it wrong all the time. Matthew Henry said this, uh, the sin against this commandment which we are most in danger of is giving the glory and honor to any creature which are due to God only. Pride makes a god of self, covetousness makes a god of money, sensuality makes a god of the belly, whatever is esteemed or loved, feared or served, delighted in or depended on more than God, that whatever it is, we do in effect make a god of. And John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol-making factory. You don't have to train people. They do it naturally. Little kids worship the wrong things. Big kids worship the wrong things. And grandparents worship the wrong things. We all put our hope, our affections, our, our release from pain and escape into the wrong things. We all worship idols as people. Verse five and six, it talks about what does visiting the iniquities of the father on the children mean. So to understand this, you got to really understand that culture they were in. So we all know actions have consequences and sin has consequences. And the result of sin is you get hurt and others around you get hurt. That's a reality. And this whole third, fourth, and third and fourth generation of God extended mercy into thousands of other generations. It's hard for our individualistic culture to wrap our minds around that. But to cover this, verses 5 and 6 covers a concept called corporate identity. In the ancient Near East, a person found identity in his or her group, clan, or family. There is a inner integration and inter- interdependence were more important values. These people had a stronger bonds together as a community. I mean, they just physically lived closer together. They had the same kind of occupation. They were in the same tent, the same meals, the same work. They knew each other closer, more intimately than we do in our culture. You go home to your house, I go home to my house with my four kids, <laughs> but those kids are going to grow up and leave our house. We don't just build a bigger house. Do You understand this, this This group mentality, they were complicit in sin that was tolerated by moms and dads, uncles and brothers and cousins. They let people be gluttons, drunks, hate God, worship idols. It was a complicit sin they were called to. It wasn't just some casual sin. They said these people hated God, if your grandparents hated God, your your great-grandparents hated God, your parents hated God, and you went along with the image of hating God and worshiping idols, God would punish the whole family unit because they all were involved in the same sin. A judge today would laugh at us rendering a ruling that impacts the third and fourth generation, but they were involved in close proximity and community together as people. When there was sin in a family, all family members shared in that responsibility. As As we conclude here, you know what isn't assumed in the 10 commandments? The 10 commandments assumes complete mayhem will occur. The 10 commandments assumes the depravity of mankind is going to follow these 10 commandments. The law, the law of the 10 commandments were not given as a means of salvation. The 10 commandments were given as an instruct to instruct the believer in the will of God. A theologian said this, not to give they were not to give life, the Ten Commandments. They were not to give life, but they were to guide life. The Ten Commandments' purpose is to guide your life. You don't find life in them. You find guidance for your life in them. So, we're, so to conclude, we're going to play the have you ever game. Have you ever? Have you ever had something that's higher value in your life than God? Raise your hand. Good. You're, you're engaging. Good. Second thing, have you ever worshipped something with your time, your talent, and your treasure? Like an idol. Have you ever worshipped something more than God? Look at this. Look at you guys. I didn't expect you to keep doing this the whole thing. Right. Have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? You don't need to keep raising your hands, people. It's going to get dark here in a second. <laughs> have you ever used God's name as a cuss word? Instead of using some other name, you use God's name as a cuss word. Have you ever skipped the Sabbath or worked through the Sabbath? Or done other things on the Sabbath instead of worshipping God? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever dishonored your parents? Have you ever murdered someone? And you're, have you ever murdered someone? Jesus took Matthew 5, 6, and 7. <laughs> Jesus took Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he took murder, and he lifted it to an even higher standard of what is murder, what's not. He said, if you have undeserved anger for your brother, you've killed him in your heart. You're like, undeserved anger. It's like road rage, that slacker at work or your group project, that roommate that owes you money. I mean, have you had angry, bad, malicious thoughts towards people? You have. You have. Have you ever committed adultery? When I first read that adultery, I'm like, well, I ain't married. I'm just working on that. <laughs> Getting in adultery that doesn't apply to me yet. Jesus said, if you have undeserved, if you've, uh, if you looked of lust upon a young woman, you've committed adultery of her in your, in your, in your heart. You looked with lust upon someone? You have. You've committed adultery of the mind. You've committed murder of the heart. Have you ever stolen? Answers on a test, taxes. Have you ever lied? Have you ever coveted? So think about this. How many, how many, uh, how many people do I have to kill to be considered a murderer? How many lies do I have to tell to be considered a liar? Right? If you think through this, I have broken systematically as a guy, as a pastor, all 10 of these 10 commandments. I'm sure you're not much better than me. (laughs) Get what I'm saying? There's 618 commandments in the Bible. 618 commandments in the Bible. Have you ever broken the 10 commandments? The answer is yes, you have. And if you pretend you didn't, that's pride. We can talk more later. Have you haven't broke you've probably broken all 10 of them. If you if 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 hypothetically if God were to judge you based on the 10 commandments, would you go to heaven or hell? Hypothetically, you'd go to hell. Does that concern you? It should very much concern you. Jesus said to enter the kingdom of heaven that you must be perfect because the heavenly father is perfect in Matthew 5 6 and 7, his sermon on the mount. The thing is, all have sinned. No one is perfect. Everyone has broken the law, the commandments. Everyone is not perfect. Right now, these seniors, they worked hard, they earned grades, and eventually they earned degrees. You work hard, you earn paychecks. You don't work hard, you don't earn a paycheck. Men and women, we, we work and we earn things in life. When you sin, you earn the punishment, wrath, and judgment of God. And there's only one perfect person. that's Jesus. He perfectly kept all 10 of the 10 commandments. He perfectly kept the whole law. That's 618 commandments in the Old Testament. He fulfilled all of God's law and all of man's law fully and perfectly. Jesus perfectly obeyed when you disobeyed. Jesus perfectly spoke up when you were silent. Jesus acted when you didn't act and Jesus didn't act when you reacted. Jesus didn't sin when you sinned. The gospel is what is about Jesus' righteousness for your unrighteousness. The gospel is when you place your hope and your trust in the righteousness of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, instead of your righteousness. Right now, if you're living a life without Christ, if you're living a life without God as the main thing in your life, you're living a life where you are your own Savior. You are the hero of your story. And you are worshiping, and you're worshiping yourself. You created God in your own image. And that story, the story you're writing, is going to become a horror story when your life ends in a life destined for hell. Only Jesus can be the hero of your story. Only Jesus can be the one you worship. Only Jesus was able to live the perfect righteous life you could not live. Only Jesus could give his righteousness to you so that you might have a relationship with God. Only Jesus satisfies the wrath of God. See, you're in a terrible situation. You know what hell is? Hell is an absence of God in a space. All the light, all the pain, all the suffering, the fact that there's nothing to touch. Hell in the Bible is a frightening, horrific place, and it's not designed for you. But if you live a life... Saying, I want nothing to do with you, God. I have no desire to know you, worship you, love you, obey you, have any relationship with this God. Your entire existence here on earth, when you die, God will honor your decisions as a person and give you eternity without him. And hell is designed for the demons that rebelled against God, the angels that had an insurrection against God in heaven, that rebelled against God. But if you live a life of rebelling against God and running from God and disobeying God and you live an unrepentant life and you die without placing your hope and trust in Jesus, you will get what you deserve, what you desire. Your zip code of your future will be hell. And that's not desirable for you. You just don't realize that you're putting your hope and your trust in an idol. You're trusting and hoping in this or that will save you and, and help you get through this life. You're putting your hope in a false God. It's a doctored up God. It's not an Egyptian God. It's a doctored up idol. It's not an idol that we'd laugh at and scoff at. A few chapters after this, they make an idol. They make a golden calf, and they're worshiping it. They broke the first two commandments a few chapters into this book we're reading. We have idols. We lie down and worship daily as Americans. Look at the character of this God who loves you, who's jealous for you. He says in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. God was able to lead the largest rescue op in the history of mankind, a million people leaving Egypt. He was able to save them. And then he sent the second largest, the most largest rescue op ever was his son Jesus Christ coming to this earth to save mankind so that they could find a way through their Red Sea. They could find a way to him. Based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. The character of God is, the heart of God is throughout the Ten Commandments, but it's also in Exodus 34. It's God talking about himself. He says, The Lord is gracious, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in coveted faithfulness. He forgives sins, but he will not leave the wicked unpunished. The question for you is, are you trusting in a God, an idol to save you? Are you worshiping an idol, a God? Or are you worshiping the one true God? Who are you trusting in? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Let's bow our heads and pray as John closes us out with a communion dedication month. Lord, I just thank you for the fact that we have time to repent. We have time to have our hope and trust and faith in you. I thank you that we have an opportunity, Lord, to hear the word of God and be changed by it and, and live a life that is focused in worshiping and loving you, Lord. I ask that you just do a special thing in the lives of these men and women. I pray that they would obey what they heard today. They dig into the scripture and see if it's true. We just commit today to you in Jesus' name. Amen.